Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable, the divorce services company, and host of this, The Divorce Podcast. In this episode, I was joined by Sarah Davison. Sarah is best known as a divorce coach, but she's also a best-selling author and worldwide media commentator on the topic of divorce and separation. We began this episode by discussing the different types of divorce coaching, all the way from Amicable, where we help couples navigate the legal and financial process of divorce, through to coaches like Sarah, who help with the emotional and practical process of picking up your life after a breakup. We looked at Sarah's own difficult journey through divorce, which has shaped her career as a divorce coach. She offered some fantastic tips in terms of approaching divorce and stressed the importance of dealing with your current emotional state, but also looking to the future to help set yourself up in the best way possible. We discussed the various flaws of the legal system, and I loved her analogy of the court being a bit like a casino with a lot of reform needed in the future, particularly around children's proceedings. This episode is full of really helpful advice if you're confronted with a divorce, separation or a breakup and aren't quite sure where to start in terms of your emotional journey. If you really loved this episode or want to hear more episodes like this, then please make sure to rate us on your preferred listening platform. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm really excited to be here today. Oh, it's, it's lovely that you're here and thank you for joining us. I think maybe we should start by just talking a little bit about divorce coaches and divorce coaching because I know there are lots of different kind of pretexts and contexts to use those words and certainly and amicable we use divorce coaching in quite a different way to perhaps how you use it. So let's start first off if we may by just talking a little bit around divorce coaching and, and what you mean by it, Sarah. Yeah, so for me, I support people through both the emotional roller coaster that people go on through any kind of breakup, not just divorce, as well as those practical challenges that people go through, like being single, being a single parent, dating again, you know, rebuilding your confidence, those sorts of things. So really, it's a support to help people. We don't go near the legal side. To be honest, I don't ever want to see another for me as long as I live. Mine was enough for me <laughs> all those years ago. But no, I don't deal with the legal side or the financial, but purely on the emotional and the support and helping people to take their power back and turn what is a very painful, traumatic experience into something that then becomes a chance to redesign their life and be happier and more confident to move forward. All right. So that's really interesting because like from an amicable perspective, we do do the legal side. So when we use divorce coaches, our divorce coaches are legally trained people who help you sort out your financial childcare and divorce processes, all of those things. But for you, it's around the extra side of that, the support around the practical implications of, of where all of those things might lead to. So more on the emotional side. Yeah, I think divorce, as you know, Kate, is known as the second most traumatic life experience we go through after death of a loved one 
And obviously, you know, having been through it myself and have worked with thousands of people around the world, it is one of the things that maybe is quite unexpected, just how hard it can hit you and floor you. And a lot of the journey that people go on, you know, obviously isn't just the legal journey, it's rebuilding their lives, including rediscovering who they are, and where they want to go with their life. So there is that personal development journey. And I've been involved in the self help personal development industry, pretty much since well, since I was 21. So a long, long time, 26 years now. So yeah, this is my this is what I do. This is what I love. And that's the they're the tools and techniques that I share with my clients to help them to transform themselves from where they are, where there is no light at the end of the tunnel very often, to, you know, turning that pain into their power and having those transformations so that they can go on and, and you know, feel stronger and, and more confident and happy again. So you mentioned that you've been in this business a long time. So you were 21 when you started. What were you doing at 21 then in this kind of field? Oh, it's, it's, you know, I look back with such fond memories because out of university, I kind of realized I was totally unemployable. I did try a few jobs here and there, but my passion has always been self-help. And I was lucky enough to have done some trainings with Anthony Robbins in the States. And I bumped into someone when I was out there who worked for him, who, who was a personal development speaker, who wanted to come to the UK and put on events. And he was actually interviewing other people at this seminar that I was at for the role. And he said, well, why don't you come along? You're British. Come and sit in and see and see what you think. And at the end of it, he said, look, I don't want to use them. I want to use you. And so at 21, I set up my own business to fly motivational speakers from the States to the UK. So, yeah, we had I had an office of eight staff. We were putting on events and seminars. So I was training with those people. I also was lucky enough to work and train with Paul McKenna, Richard Bandler, Michael Neal, Michael O'Brien. There were so many people that I was lucky enough to to work with, you know, Barefoot Doctor, a wide range of different, you know, real leading world experts. So I was lucky enough to train with them whilst I was promoting them. And obviously from there, I set up my own coaching practice. And yeah, it just grew from there, really. So yeah, 26 years in in this industry. So yeah, I love it. And I think that's part of my passion for what I do. Mm. And where did your own divorce come into this then? So you were already set up as a motivational speaker and coach. What piqued your interest then in relationship breakdown or breakup and then divorce specifically? Yeah, great question. Because I didn't see my future at any point in those first 10 years being a breakup and divorce coach. When I met my husband, I thought I'd met my soulmate. We were both interested in personal development. We very quickly grew a training business. We had offices in Sydney and London. We had 180 staff. You know, we had a, a baby. Yeah, I was. I knew there were issues with the relationship. But I thought we could work through them. Marriage was forever. That was something that was really, really important to me. So when I found out he no longer wanted to be married to me, it hit me like a freight train. I didn't see it coming. It was a real shock. And then I quickly found out that he'd met somebody else who he was in love with. And they went on within months to start a new family. My son was only one at the time. And I mean, it hit me like a freight train. I was on the floor doing all the ugly crying in the bathroom and just not knowing how to put one foot in front of the other. And at that point, I guess I'd been coaching for about 15 years. So I was like, goodness, if I'm struggling and I'm trained in managing my emotional state, yeah, how does everybody else cope? So I started to research and try and find ways to help me pull my life back together. 
And I couldn't really find anything that was suitable to my particular situation. So I basically pulled together my coaching skills and combined it with what was at the time a very intimidating divorce process and tried to sort of create some tools and techniques that would help me get through. Overnight, you know, I lost my, my, the father of my child, the person I thought was my best friend, the, yeah, I became a single mum and my business partner, you know, everything had gone. So for me, it was a, a big life change in, you know, 24 hours from me discovering the facts. And so, yeah, so that's where I pulled everything together. And those are the tools and techniques that I now share with, you know, my clients. And also I train people to become breakup and divorce coaches as well. So I share them with those people around the world too. And what do you think then, just give us an example of some of those or some of the things that helped you at that real moment of crisis then, because I know there'll be lots of people potentially listening who will find themselves in the same position where the, the shock of just finding out and just literally not knowing how to put, you know, your next step forward it is awful. So just share a couple of sort of techniques that you used on yourself? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's really important to surround yourself with good people. So getting what I call your breakup support team in place is really essential in the early days because you know there's the overwhelm, there's the shock, there's a maybe denial, there's all sorts of negative emotions that it's very difficult to 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 start you know grabbing your control back and moving forward. So the first thing is always to set up a support team, and again thinking carefully about who you're putting in that support team. So you know your best friend may actually be extremely emotionally involved in your breakup. You know, they probably know your partner very well. They probably have their own negative emotions towards them. And really what you need, especially in the early days, is not only those friends, but for constructive, positive advice moving forward, maybe someone that's not so emotionally involved. You know, I, I, I'd often tell the story about one of my new clients. She turned up and she proudly popped open the boot of her car and showed me all these bin bags full of her ex's clothes and her best friend had been round to her house the night before she was so upset and angry they'd shared some bottles of wine and they'd gone through everything that was left in the wardrobe bagged it up and you know that led to some pretty difficult consequences for her later on down the line so choosing the family and the friends carefully for that particular team but also you know if you do need legal advice or a financial advisor having them on speed dial so that if you are worried about things because you're going to you know not be an expert in everything let's face it so having someone that can answer those questions will help dial down some of that anxiety and also someone to get out the house with so whether that's exercising walking just getting out and getting some fresh air so setting up that team in the early days I think is the first essential step to take Mm. I hear what you say about the friendship thing because it's all very well, isn't it, to get the sympathetic ear and for everyone to pitch in and say, you know, what an absolute whatever he or she has been. But ultimately, if that just sends you down the same spiraling loop, it's not very helpful, is it? You do need to have, you know, ears and eyes that are way more objective and aren't, as you say, so emotionally involved. Is there a personality type that lends itself to this kind of thing? Or is it just a question of really standing back and, as you say, sifting through the people that perhaps are a little bit too close and, and, and putting them in a slightly different box, maybe? Yeah, I think maybe it is about just stepping back and looking at someone who's not so fully associated with what's going on that can give you that constructive advice. And it might be someone that's been down that path before rather than a close friend, because they might have a better understanding of, you know, with hindsight, what they might have done better and the consequences of making some of those rash decisions early on. 
Yeah, that's, that is really good advice. So you you landed up then divorced, wanting to set up or having already a, a business. Did you have to give up the business that you'd set up and then start again, or what happened? How did you extract yourself effectively from from that partnership and that company? Well, that was that's a good question. That was part of a two and a half year long high court battle, which was ridiculous, and not only financially excruciatingly expensive. I mean, we're talking 12 years ago. I mean, even back in the day then, it was ridiculous amounts of money that was spent. And again, I learned a lot from that process because I didn't know I had another choice. I didn't know there was another way. I mean, I I didn't know you didn't have to go to war and fight and go to court and get the barristers. I didn't know there were other options. So again, I feel like, you know, with hindsight, I have a lot to offer from having been dragged through that process. But also, I think people don't really recognize as much the emotional cost. We don't talk about the emotional cost of going through that process. Um, And as you well know, Kate, it is, you know, I mean, I see clients who are devastated just from the process of going through the court and maybe the way they're treated, you know, especially if you're coming out of a toxic relationship. You know, there are so many pitfalls and challenges that, you know, financially and emotionally, the cost of going through that process in that way is is horrific. And, you know, I, I am quite honestly sick to death of seeing clients in a in a complete emotional state because of that. So I think, you know, that's another reason why I'm so passionate about what I do is sharing the things that I wish I'd done differently and the lessons that I've learned, because I don't think there's enough education out there to, to give people the support they need to make the best decisions for them. Yeah, I agree. I think picking your process at the beginning is one of the most critical decisions that you make and like I mean I've had such a similar it's like listening to myself back you know we were the same we've been all the way through the high court as well we've spent so much money I want to just cry thinking about it and it's just not knowing at the beginning that like you say that there are alternatives and that if you can go somewhere initially just to damp down that initial emotion and then break that link between thinking that the the obvious thing to do if somebody says they want a divorce is to run off to a solicitor. I think breaking that link is part of the fundamental mission I'm on at the moment to try and get that message across. You don't have to do this. You can pick an alternative process. You can do this in a much more sentient way that will protect your co-parenting relationship and will protect your mental and emotional health. And I think if there was one thing I wanted to be able to impart to everybody that I meet on this subject, it's that. And it sounds like you've had a similar experience. Yeah, I think you're so right that I I just didn't have access to anyone that was saying anything different. And then once you're into that solicitor scenario, you're on a treadmill that you cannot get off either, you know, financially, emotionally, you know, you're sort of suckered into, you know, the family court system, which is a toxic cesspit, in my opinion. And I just rarely see positive outcomes. I mean, it can work for people. And there are some good professionals in that system, for sure. But again, it's potluck. And in my mind, you just may as well replace the word court for casino because there's so many moving parts. And especially with my, you know, I came out of a toxic relationship. I'm the patron of a domestic abuse charity, the Dash Charity. A lot of my clients have come out of some kind of controlling, you know, abusive relationship scenario. And the current state is that the family court is not fit for purpose for those clients. But there aren't many other options that are going to be any better. But let's preserve emotional sanity where we can, I think. So, yeah, a lot of work needed. 
a lot of light needed to be shone on those things. But I know there's a lot of us working behind the scenes and and doing our best to to shine a light on those things. And some small changes are happening, but they're too small and they're too slow, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there is a whole bunch of people working in this space now and the trick is to band together and amplify our voices, isn't it? So that we can get some real proper change. And I know there are, I'm sure you've been part of those consultations on alternative to court and that kind of thing going on at the moment behind the scenes at the Ministry of Justice and so on. And and it's just so vital that we can add our voices to this to try and think of other ways and other ways that have teeth as well. So it's the court isn't the only way um that has teeth there are other ways that you know where you can do things much more collaboratively but there are consequences to then not following through on what you've said you're going to do and i think that's really key too so you've you've come out of this relationship a toxic relationship as you describe it and you've you know you've got your background in coaching and you've had a, an extensive business so what leads you then to or what happens next in the story in terms of setting up um, a specialism in breakup and, and divorce? Well, it was my lawyer, actually, that said, you know, you should write a book because you've got so many tools that you've used to get you through to help your son. You know, and she asked me to speak to some of her clients. And then I did. I wrote Uncoupling, which is my first book, and it was a bestseller. And then I started running retreats, so breakup recovery retreats. And then the Daily Mail got a hold of those. And I just think that I was meeting a need you know, for that raw emotion that wasn't really being met on that scale. And and my style of coaching is quite unique. It's, it's you know, I'm, I very much wear my heart on my sleeve. And it's very much sort of connecting with people where they are, and then helping them with simple tools to get them where they need to be. So very simple, very easy, but very structured to get those fast positive results. So I think, you know, once I started getting the sort of publicity, I guess that sort of took off And yeah, it's grown. So I've got my coaching business. I have my own clients around the world that I coach one-to-one. And then I set up the International Divorce Coach Center of Excellence to train other people to become breakup and divorce coaches because my my goal really is to help as many people as possible and, and get those tools out there. And whilst both my books are translated into different languages, it's nice to have other coaches out there who can actually, in different countries, I think we've got coaches now in 17 different countries five different continents around the world yeah and it's such coaching is such a, a rewarding job and you can do it from home and given the situation over the last couple of years I think it's you know it, it's you know very flexible people want to work from home and it, and it makes a difference it's a lovely you know job to be able to help people so yeah it's just been great fun so I love what I do and I think that sort of helps working all hours that I do. And what are the steps then? So if somebody comes to you in that raw emotional state, what sort of steps are you taking them through? I mean, just broadly uh, for the purposes of the podcast, to give people a taster of the kind of mental and emotional work that you do with people. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my clients will initially be in heartbreak. Most of them have been left. Most of them have maybe betrayal, affairs, cheating, or some sort of toxic relationship where the sort of communication is really not has been quite dysfunctional. So again, it's very much going on that personal development journey, dialing down some of those negative emotions by taking their power back. You know, I'm a big believer that we control the remote control to our brain. So we control how we feel. And we're never given the manual on how to work that. So I really sort of strip it back and show, you know, how looking at coping strategies, like how do you cope? You know, when you're feeling heartbroken, when does it hit you the most, for example? And most people will say, 
in the morning when they wake up it will hit you I don't know if you remember this Kate I used to feel like you wake up saying oh morning and then a tsunami of negative emotions you're like oh god yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of clients, you know, looking at those trigger points and how we can change things to do things differently. And again, it's about building their confidence, their self-reliance, taking their power back, taking their control back. Because, you know, a lot of people will spend time, understandably, blaming their ex or, you know, feeling like they're out of control because their ex has the power. Maybe they have more money. Maybe they're driving the divorce process. Maybe they're being more aggressive maybe their confidence is low because of all this. So again, taking your power back in little steps by learning some tools, simple tools to try and sort of rationalize and balance yourself in those early days will mean that you become more centered so you can make better decisions along that divorce process as well. Because I think, you know, overwhelm, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? We have to make the biggest life decisions ever that, you know, where are we going to live? You know, who's looking after the kids? What are you going to do money-wise for different things? at a time where you're so emotionally overloaded that, you know, even making a cup of tea can be a struggle on some days. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely the nail on the head, isn't it? It's the idea that you've got to make the life-changing decisions at the time when you feel least able to do it. And I think that's what, you know, affects nearly everybody uh, when they're going through this. Because I, th- I think when you enter into this kind of world as well, you you don't fully grasp until you're sort of in the middle of it just how enormous it is and just how many changes you're going to have to make. And it's just so overwhelming, as you say, that anything you can do to give yourself some time, space, support, you know, that calmness to be able to tackle decisions one at a time and just reduce the kind of overwhelming feelings. I think that's absolutely the key to all of this because ultimately it's a marathon, not a sprint, isn't it? And like you say, there might be somebody who's kind of trying to sprint towards the finish just rush it all through, get it all done. But actually, it doesn't work like that. And some of those decisions you make really fast and really quick take a little bit of time to play out, don't they? And then you've got to regroup, go back over them, sort them out again. And so there is no prize for doing this quickly, I always think. Yeah, I think, you know, there's all those decisions that are going on. But if you're not looking after yourself, by the time you've got through all that decision making, you know, what's left? And that's where you part ways with your lawyer in most cases. And off you go to get on with your life. But at that stage, you know, if it's anything like your mind, of course, you're like in a heap on the floor. So, you know, rebuilding from that point can be tough. So, yeah, I think it is small steps every day to create that momentum to make sure that as you're going through the process, you're also rediscovering your own identity. You're also making plans for the future. A lot of my clients will come in the future is just a black hole or, or a blank canvas, which is understandable. But how can you possibly make decisions about the future when you don't even know what that could look like? And all you know is right now and what's happened in the past. So your mind is going to go to now and the past until you take your power back and start to throw some color on that blank canvas or shine a light into that black hole. And I think as a coach, that's really you know our job to sort of help them deal with the emotions in the immediate, you know, to get through the divorce, but also to give them something to aim for, to get that excitement, to get that momentum, which finally tips the balance from focusing on their ex to themselves. And that's where then things start to open up. Yeah, we do that by setting goals. And it's the same sort of thing, isn't it, where you're actually trying to get people to think about the future, to paint a picture of what it's going to look like. And that can be really challenging. 
But do you think there's a an ideal time when people are best able to receive the help that you offer or does it not matter? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because everybody is different. You know, you know, I've had, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've had three women all going through their, their partners, leaving them for someone else. One was just devastated and couldn't get out of her tracksuit every day. Another was super angry. Like, I'm not signing any papers. I'm not moving forward. And then the other one was just relieved. You know, this is a get out of jail free car. But she just was stuck because she said, I don't know what life looks like without him. I don't want him. But where do I go? So, again, it really depends on the personality and also your inherent ability to deal with stress in life. Some people can deal with stress, huge amounts of stress, and not many other people would know they were going through such a tough time. Other people, you know, struggle with that. So, you know, some people come to me before they've left. They're saying, you know, my partner's saying they're going to leave me or I want to leave. I'm just not sure what that looks like. And then, you know, as soon as it's happened, they've been dumped. That's a tough time. In the middle of a court process, sometimes lawyers will refer to me saying, look, you know, they're not making great decisions because they're crying all the time or they're too angry. And then, you know, at the moment, I'm working with someone who has been separated for 15 years and her ex has moved on. He's got a whole new family. And yet she's still stuck, as she says it, in her, her little grey flat and not moved on. You know, she hasn't met anyone else. She hasn't you know, even changed anything where, where she lives. So it really is dependent on the person. And we have tools to, to help people at any stage. And it's really specific to the individual rather than that stage anyway. Okay, so there's no such thing as too early then? No, I think, you know, sometimes in the very early days, if someone's just been left when I run my retreats, for example, you know, in the early days, there's a lot of tears because you're in that denial and that shock process. So in those early days, there's not many tools that we can give to sort of speed up that process. But what we're doing is we're showing them how to cope. We're showing them the map ahead. We're showing them and giving them more clarity about what's to come. So whilst the transformation won't be as fast in those early days, because you have to grieve the end of your relationship. You know, unfortunately, we don't have that magic wand to wave all the pain away I wish we did but it's about right you're safe let's get you up and running let's get you you know balanced let's give you some tools so that you can start to move on as and when you know you're able to so no I think you know any stage it's useful and a lot of people say I wish I'd come you know a year ago because I think if I'd known what I know now it would have sped up the process and I'd have coped so much better. So it sounds like this process of uncoupling takes a long period of time then doesn't it I mean you've written your your, one of your books is called uncoupling and from survival to thriving do you think there are stages that people go through then when they are attempting to uncouple you've described just very nicely there that that first stage where it is all the raw emotion and you're literally holding people aren't you you're giving them a safe space to be what comes after that what stages do people go through do you think well, I find that most people follow the same cycle as they do when someone has, has died, that lost cycle that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross created back in the 60s. I mean, it stands true because you go through that first stage of of the denial, the shock, the just disbelief. And sometimes at that stage, you may not even feel ready to talk about it because, again, it makes it very real. The next stage tends to be higher energy, more angry. But then again, Anger, if you're not the kind of person that gets angry in normal day life, you may not get that angry. You may get more stressed or frustrated, or some people might go to to rage. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a there's a scale there. Then the next stage is, is bargaining. And I find this fascinating. I don't know if you remember what you did when you went through that stage, Kate, but I certainly was trying to 
change myself to save the relationship to try and say well if I try and set these ridiculously high standards or sort of conform to doing this every day like cooking dinner and then wearing you know looking better looking you know trying to make more effort all the time maybe I can salvage this but it wasn't possible you know it just wasn't sustainable so a lot of people will interestingly as humans we don't like change so we'll we'll do what we can to maintain the status quo, even if it's horrible, even if we're being rejected consistently, even if maybe you're being um, abused in a relationship. We stay because we know that. And again, we don't know what the future looks like. And that can be scary. So bargaining is an interesting phase. And then the fourth stage is depression. And that sounds really bad, doesn't it? Depression. And I do see a lot of clients that have been diagnosed as depressed from their GP But actually, you know, it is a natural part of the healing process. You have to grieve the end of your relationship in order to let it go, to process it, to come out the other side to the fifth and final stage, which is acceptance. And if you don't go through that grieving process, you're what I call stuffing your emotions down. You're going to drag that baggage through to new relationships or never really let it go so that it follows you around like a black cloud. So, again, depression is a stage, but it ends. You know, that's the point. It's not forever. So, you know, if you have been diagnosed with depression, then know that you can turn that around and it's natural to go through that and you will come out the other side. And then acceptance, you know that it's done. You've taken off the rose tinted glasses. You're looking at the relationship warts and all probably more balanced. But, you know, a lot of clients get stuck at that point because, again, they're not sure of how to live without their ex and what life could be so again there's a lot of work as coaches that we can do to get them excited and to to really dig deep into what they want from life and it's actually great to jump off that treadmill of life that maybe a lot of our married friends are on where it's going to get up get showered get the kids ready get to work come home school run you know all the things they do we get to redesign our life just the way we want it so there is a big silver lining and I'm all about, you know, taking that opportunity and making the most of it. Yeah. And do you think, I get asked this a lot, so I'm going to ask it to you, see what you say. Do you think everyone's got the chance of an amicable breakup or an amicable divorce? No, <laughs> I don't. Because, I mean, it would be wonderful, you know, if we could all skip into the sunset, like Gwyneth Paltrow, conscious uncoupling. I mean, obviously, that's what we want. That's what we want for everyone. However... If you are divorcing someone, if you are, if you come from a healthy dynamic relationship where, of course, there's going to be a bit of conflict over who gets the piano and who sees the dog when, you know, those sort of things. But ultimately, in a healthy relationship, you both want a fair outcome, however that looks. You know, you want to preserve that amicable relationship. So that is there as a premise. Now, if you are divorcing a, an abusive partner, which has been massively on the rise since the pandemic. So this is a big, big thing right now. And we're only just seeing the tip of the iceberg, I believe. But if you are, then the the basis of that from them, from the abuser, is annihilation. Now, with annihilation, there is no amicable divorce because they want to cause as much pain and as much suffering as possible. And unfortunately, with the way the system is set up currently, There are lawyers that will get involved, that will weaponize that because they can get a lot of billable hours from those kind of divorces because there's so much emotion. So, again, you know, that's where I see these things getting blown out of all proportion, costs becoming astronomical. And then don't get me started on the various court experts that can be brought in to make this even worse. 
which in my eyes in some cases is just pure criminal. And, you know, the the aggression in the letters, unfortunately, you know, I think in any other profession, Kate, I don't know what you think, but if an accountant or a teacher sent letters that I've, I mean, I've got, had enough of them personally to wallpaper the entire of my house with them, but even with my clients, you know, to, how do they sleep at night? And if any other profession, they'd probably be struck off for bullying or intimidation. So I don't get how that helps. But going back to your question, can it be amicable? I mean, if you get in with that kind of pit bull lawyer and you have you are divorcing a toxic ex, I don't see that there is a hope of it being amicable. What can you do to protect yourself if you are in that situation then if you've got the toxic ex involved or you've got a lawyer who's, like you say, stirring the pot rather than calming the waters what can you what can you do you, you know you talk about taking back the power it's really difficult isn't it to feel that you you've got power against a legal big legal firm or whatever but there are, I know there are some tips that you can give people yeah absolutely so first of all if you are coming out of a toxic relationship then you know it's important that you're safe and I would definitely recommend speaking to your local domestic abuse charity because they will specialize in your local area. They'll know how to look after you and protect you if needed. They'll know, you know, any kind of safeguarding information and they will believe you, which I think is, again, you know, friends and family may not understand what you're talking about because on the other side, your ex may appear very charming and lovely, you know, so they may never have seen that side. And also, you know, again, it's very, very, very important. I can't stress this enough that you find legal team who understand domestic abuse, not tick a box and say they understand it, but actually really understand it. And, you know, there are ways of finding that out and you know, asking questions. And if you're not sure, reach out to specialists in abuse. You know, obviously, I specialize a lot of my coaches who've done my master practitioner training are accredited not just by me, but by the charity as well that I'm the patron of. So there are also other experts, domestic abuse charities, they can help find somebody that can best support you in those places. Because, if you've got someone that understands it, they are going to avoid the pitfalls with certain experts that might be invited into the case that you may not know otherwise. But I think it's important to be aware that a lot of you know lawyers and, and legal professionals will say they understand it, but they don't really because it's surface level and you can't learn much just from a half day training course. So again, it's really taking the time to make sure that the people representing you understand and have your best interests at heart. And if you've got that on your team, then that's best foot forward for this sort of situation. And I mean, we know, don't we, as well, recently that the law has changed to try and help and promote people separating formally when in a much more amicable way. So no fault divorce is now law. Do you think that's going to make a difference? And if so, how much and what else needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it is great that we're making some positive changes like this. You know, I think it's incredibly patronizing to say that someone has to stay married when they don't want to be married. And you have to be vetted on, you know, the, the reasons you're putting down. No one vets us when we get married. No, I know that's what I kept saying to journalists all last week. Can you imagine if you had to stand up in the registry office and say, right, these are the four bullet points I want to put forward to why I love this person and want to marry them. It just wouldn't happen, yeah, would it? But we've been having to do marry. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and no one vets us when we're having Sorry. kids. So why, after you being in that marriage, you know, I think Owens versus Owens case shone a light on this when Tina Owens was refused on appeal to divorce her husband, even though she's had an affair and listed unreasonable behavior. So I think, you know, I mean, that really, you know, makes me angry that people could force you to stay married. So 
I think it's definitely a positive thing. I think it also sets the breakup off to a more positive start. Because if you are amicable and you're coming from a healthy relationship, you know, having to allocate blame can be really difficult and can cause problems, like you said earlier, Kate, about co-parenting later down the line. It just leaves that nasty taste in your mouth and it's uncomfortable. So again, you know, that's going to to remove that option. You know, there was never a box for we've just grown apart or this has fizzled out or we're better off as friends. So I think, you know, there's definitely a positive. Will it help people coming out of toxic relationships? I mean, I'd be interested to see. I think in some ways it might do because you're not pouring more fuel on the flames to get started. But I think, you know, there's that minimum six months period that's in there, which I don't agree with. I mean, I don't know if you know anyone, Kate, that during the six months of having got to the final decision, right, we're going to get divorced, then changes their minds later. I, You know, most people put a lot of thought before they actually make any application to get divorced. So never happened in my mind, you know. But anyway, that's there. I might think it's patronizing and controlling, but hey, but, you know, during that time, if the abuser hops out of that process, there are ways that that process may have to start from the beginning again. So there are a few things there which I'm not sure about. But I mean, on the whole, we've got to be grateful that positive changes are happening in what is a very toxic, archaic system, not fit for purpose. And so, you know, I'm, I think this is positive. I think it's a good step in the right direction. And there's a lot more that needs to happen. But this is a good start. Yeah, no, I think I I agree I'm totally with what you say. It's a, it's the first step, but the, I think there's so much more that needs to be done now looking at breaking this link between divorce and going to two separate lawyers. I think looking at how we get more people looking at working together, so doing it as a couple rather than doing it individually so we don't create sides. I think finding a neutral place where people can go and get information because at the moment if you want information that's in theory in quotes, neutral, you have to go to a solicitor and they'll do like an options meeting, but you're getting your options meeting from a service provider. So that doesn't actually feel very neutral. I think there is a lot more other than mediation that could be talked about when we talk about doing things out of court, whereas at the moment mediation is the watchword for all services. So I think there's a whole bunch of things that really this now leads to the possibility of looking at and having a system that's better for families and it just accepts that relationships break up, break down, and that people need to move on. And it needs to be a much more encompassing, less punitive way of helping people move on rather than being all judgy about it and and believing that things can only be settled by a judge who no idea who you are or what your family background is or what you actually need to to make sense of your life moving forward. So I think it's the first step from from our perspective, certainly. Oh, yes. Don't get me started on judges, Kate. Don't get me started. <laughs> I'll never forget the first court experience I had where I turned up with my barrister and I was nervous anyway. But, you know, I knew the case and, you know, I was you know quite confident, you know, wanted a fair, you know, this was the financial case. And we walk in and, and it, he, you know, he comes up to me, oh, we've got this judge. And I'm like, right, so, and then, you know, whatever judge we had on whatever day, it was, he was like, oh, well, that's a good thing. Well, that's a bad thing. I mean, hang on, the case is the case. Why, why is it dependent? Well, no, because some judges have a bias towards this. Some have a, you know, belief like this. Some judges are a bit more open. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is, that's why my casino for court swap is 
I mean, just from many unfortunate court visits personally and being with clients and watching what other people go through, it is just, you know, there's just so many moving parts that when people say, you know, I want to go to court because I want to get justice, it pains me to say that that is not necessarily what you're going to get. Yeah, you're going to get an arbitrary decision. You'll get a decision, but it will be an arbitrary decision sometimes and it will depend on a whole bunch of factors that aren't even on your mind at this point in time. I agree. It is like playing Russian roulette, isn't it? You'll get an outcome. It just might not be the one you thought of or imagined. And I think the children cases are a lot more dangerous. I think we're in a very dangerous time with some of the things that are happening in children cases for people that where abuse has been alleged. Again, that has been weaponized by certain what I call dark side of family law and certain firms that you'll fall into that. And they will weaponize that. And we've got these sort of the parental alienation expert group, which, you know, it is cruel. It is, in my opinion, it's child abuse. And what's happening is totally unacceptable. And, you know, it's, it could be a combination of lack of education on what is domestic abuse, but it's also manipulation of the system. It's also you know, lack of vetting of qualified experts. There is no vetting system for court experts. I mean, people will be shocked to hear that, but there isn't. You can just pay and someone so sort of seconds you and you're in. Turn up and say what you want. Yeah, exactly. And you can write a report with any bias that you may have, even though it says in the rules you should not have a bias. If you look in certain of these areas, like the parental age alienation so-called expert area, there is huge amounts of bias. And the judges are taking their lead because they don't have that specialism because there's no compulsory domestic abuse training in these areas. So again, you know, lawyers have to really know their staff not to invite these so-called experts or, you know, consultants in or therapists, whatever they call themselves, into their clients' cases, letting the fox into the chicken coop. Because you might think, oh, we're being falsely accused of parental alienation. Let's get the parental alienation expert in. And what you find is, you know, the children are being removed. And, and this is happening. You know, I think a lot of people don't know this happens in the UK. And, you know, there was that documentary torn apart on dispatches on Channel 4 back in July this stuff happens. This is real. Like, uh, you know, this is going on and it's not okay. And again, there's a lot of us working behind the scenes to shine a light on some of these problems. But again, it's, it's you know, unless there's change from the inside out, it's very, very difficult. And it's just literally heartbreaking to see what is actually happening in, inside the courts. Well, the moral of the story has got to be don't let other people make the decisions about your family. There is a, a no order principle. There is a a system out there now where you don't have to involve the courts or judges in your divorces or your separations or your children issues, you've got to find the alternative routes, haven't you, to stay out of that system because it is so, it's, it's scary. You're right. It's, it's terrifying, I would say, rather than scary, terrifying. Look, we're coming up to the end of time. Just some final, if you want to leave people with a positive message about a couple of hints or tips if you're facing a breakup, what, what would you say to people listening, Sarah? Well, I know when you're going through it in the early stages, it is scary because, again, it comes back to that change. But know, even though you may not have the how right now, know that you will get through this and you can come out stronger and happier. It totally is possible. I mean, I know Kate's done it, obviously. I've done it. You know, thousands of clients around the world have done it. And it, it is possible. And it's simple tools, you know. I mean, we don't really realize that talking about our story, especially us women, we like to talk about our story. Our brain doesn't actually know the difference between it happening again right now when we're telling the story 
or us talking about something that happened in the past. So if you're talking about your story a lot, it will re-trigger all those negative emotions. So again, it's about learning some simple tools about how and when to, to cope with the things that you're going through and making that transition, knowing that you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel and lots of people have gone through this. You, know, you are not alone. There is lots of help, lots of support. I mean, your podcast is amazing. I have a podcast, Heartbreak to Happiness. You know, free information out there, which anyone can listen to, absorb, you know, anything like that. Feed your brain with positive messages that are going to help you move forward. And, you know, you will get through this and you will be happy again. Absolutely. I definitely, definitely can subscribe to that message. It's so hard, isn't it, when you're in the midst of it thinking that things are just awful and everybody else seems like they're a different case to you. But honestly you've been in your bathroom I remember lying on my the spare room floor when I had all my bundles around me just sobbing into the carpet making such a mess but it's just kind of you will come through it and there will be light at the end of the tunnel listen it's been an absolute delight and pleasure as ever talking to you thank you so much for your time Sarah where can people find out more about you well, you can go to my website, saradavison.com and check out our weekly online support meetings, retreats, one-to-one coaching and training to become a coach. So yeah, that would be the best place to look. Fantastic. And of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kate underscore daily. You can hear more about new podcast episodes by following at divorce underscore podcast. And if you like this podcast and want to hear more about it or more like them, you can just subscribe to thedivorcepodcast.com. Sarah Davison, thank you so much for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>